Hey there, everyone. You're locked into localjobnetwork.com radio. I am Tim Muma, and this is I Want to Be A, where each time we meet, we complete that phrase with a new job or field of work, bringing on an expert guest to give you the details of what you really do in that profession, what it takes to get in, and hopefully how to thrive in it. Now, we've spoken recently with some chemists in academia, but for this episode, I want to be an industrial chemist. And to fill us in on the key components, we have Dr. Catherine Hunt on the phone from Pennsylvania. Dr. Hunt has spent 25 years with Roman Haas and then finished her career with the Dow Chemical Company, who actually did buy out Roman Haas back in 2009. Catherine, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you, Tim. It's wonderful to be here. And how about we call me Katie? All right, we'll go with that moving forward. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's a pleasure to have you on and uh, get a little different perspective here than what we've had with some of our other shows um, in the chemistry discipline. Uh, Before we get started, though, why don't you fill us in a little bit on your professional career? Well, Tim, I guess I would say that I started out thinking, well, I'll get a degree in chemistry, and I got a degree, a bachelor's degree, but I worked in the summer as a technician, and I guess the thing is that I like to be the one in charge. So (laughs) the people in the lab said, you know what, Katie, I think you're going to need to go on and get your PhD if you want to be in charge of the lab. So so I, I went out to California, to University of California at Davis, and uh, got a graduate degree in chemistry. And at that point, I thought, well, you know what? I think I'd like to be a professor. Mm. And they said, well, if you want to do that, you're going to have to postdoc. Ah. So then I kept going to school. <laughs> and, uh, but as I was interviewing for jobs, and I actually did interview at University of Wisconsin-Madison in chemistry. Okay. But as you said, I actually took a job with Roman Haas in the Philadelphia area, because they promised me my own lab and uh, my own NMR instruments, which were at that time about $400,000 each. (laughs) And uh, that's a lot to raise as a new professor. No kidding. I said, well, they they told me I could publish, I I would have my own technician and Mm. my own lab. So I said, this sounds great. I could do this for a while and then go teach. And well, what can I say? I was an analytical chemist, and then I went on to be a process chemist. I went on to lead an industrial lab. And then my, I just got to the point where I said, you know, I think what I want to do is create my own job. Mm-hmm. And I was actually able to do that and uh, take on a role within the company about 13 years in called Technology Partnership Director. Okay. And what was really great about that, my son says, Mom, you get to talk, and you get to talk to people, and you get to talk about science. I mean, what could be better? <laughs> I think my son knows me very, very well. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. It is. So I was building partnerships with Roman Haas, with other companies, with national labs, with and working on things like making adhesives from biomass. Mm. So I guess what I... What I really liked about that was that although I started out by being the scientist, the bench chemist, the person doing the work, as time went on, I started being the one who was in charge of the work, who was leading the work, not just managing it, but leading the work. Sure. Well, and we're talking about, again, the idea of an industrial chemist and, you know, you and I in our brief conversations beforehand, you know, just talking about, okay, there is a difference, a distinct difference if you're working in the industry like you did versus at a university as I said, we've had a couple of people on the show talking about that side. What would you point to as the biggest differences or the key aspects that are really just th- that vary depending on which path you choose? Well, I think if you're, let's talk about what's the same and what's different. If you're a professor, you're teaching students. 
I find that as a scientist in industry, I'm teaching executives. Okay. Right? And being an interface and explaining my science and communicating the science from the scientists to, say, the managers or the folks with the money so that we can fund our projects. <laughs> always so important. I think always important. So if you're in, in academia, you're talking to the funders who are the people at Department of Energy or, or uh, Department of Defense or, or whoever your funders are, you know, the, soybean, the United Soybean Board or whoever mm-hmm. is funding your research. And in industry, you're talking to your upper management or, or to the uh, stockholders. Right, so it depends who your customers are, and what your final product is. For yourself, then, was this something that you always wanted to do? Was there something that really kind of sparked your interest? I know you had briefly mentioned uh, your family playing a little bit of a role in everything. What was what was that story like in terms of you getting into this industry? Well, I think my dad was a chemist, and he first started with Monsanto, and then went on to Allied Chemical. And I think he always took me to the company picnics, and I always met all these other chemists, and I thought what they had to talk about was so interesting. But I think when I was young, I used to ask a lot of questions. <laughs> Things like, so dad, why do they put salt on the roads in the winter? Right. And I'm one of seven kids, right? Oh, okay. So time with dad was special. Sure. So I, I found when I asked him chemistry questions, oh, I got lots of one-on-one time. He'd pull out his chemistry books. He'd pull out the phase diagrams. He'd explain fe- freezing point depression and... and uh, so that was always really special to me. Also, my mom, turns out that my mom always wanted to be a chemist, but mm. she let herself get talked out of it. Not by my dad, mind you, but uh, when she was in school. So she said, you know, if this is something you love, you got to follow your heart. So when I went off to college, I did. I declared chemistry as my major. And um, I remember coming home for my first time away from school and uh, telling my dad I had declared chemistry as my major. and And he was was astonished. He said, what? What are you thinking? <laughs> Chemistry is no place for a woman. Really? Well, I, I was shocked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> he said, but, but dad, you know, you've made me love this. And he said, but we're not ready for women in the lab. What are you, what are you thinking? And I said, but dad, you've made me love this. I don't know. I think I won him over because once I published my thesis, once I finished writing it, I bound a copy of it. He, he kept it on the coffee table at home, and he would show it to people. My mother would carry my papers around in her <laughs> purse and show them to people in the supermarket. I mean, it was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> but it was kind of fun at the same time. They were, you know, they were really proud of what I was doing, and so that, that made me proud. Well, it's it's fascinating to hear. I mean, your dad's kind of two perspectives there because he clearly enjoyed sharing that the knowledge with you and the information, um, and then just his reaction. Of course, like you said, surprised you. Do you think it had anything to do with possibly difficulties you might have faced, or maybe you did face, because, as he said, maybe the industry wasn't ready for this, or or was it just, I don't know, old school thinking? Uh, you know, I think you're exactly right because I did face a few difficulties the first summer that I worked in the lab. Mm-hmm. I remember being in there and, and, and some of the guys who just weren't really, my dad was right, they really weren't ready to have me in the lab. And one guy used to come in every morning and put a really hard science problem on the board and tell me he expected me to have it solved by lunchtime. Mm. And, you know, so, so I would say, well, you know, I have 
I have a job to do here. <laughs> um, but, it, it, you know, during my breaks, I'll work on it, right? So I would go out, it would set up my experiments, and I would come back and work on these problems. And then I would have lunch with them. And he would always be surprised because I maybe didn't come up with the whole answer, but I would have some really good questions about it. And so I think I won them over by being engaged, by really demonstrating an understanding. And, and you know, if you're excited about something, I think it's hard for people. I think you can wear them down. I, no, that's a great point. I, I appreciate you talking about that story because, um, you know, there might be people who are in certain circumstances that might be similar. Not exactly necessarily, but uh, similar ones. Clearly, you carved out a, a successful career for yourself, and you, you mentioned briefly, you know, some of the um, opportunities you've had. Were there any projects that you worked on that really stood out in some way or you took a lot of pride in or anything that you would really want to mention uh, maybe as a, a, the peak or just something, again, that just really stood out in your career? Well, I think one of my favorite projects, I love putting teams together. And the team I was actually serving when I was the corporate sustainability director for Roman Haas on the sustainability advisory board for the mayor of Philadelphia. Hmm. And so as members of the board, uh, we said, we'd like to put a project together that really could put one of the tenants of our Philly sustainability plan into action and not just talk about it, but but really walk the talk. So I said, Roman Haas, and at that point, Dow had bought us. So Dow is a leader in sustainability and, and we have a, a Dow coatings group. And I said, you know, one of our tenants is to convert 15% of the housing stock in Philadelphia to have insulation, air sealing or caulking, and cool roofs, which are solar reflective white roofs, sure. by 2015. And if we're trying to do this one building at a time or one house at a time, we're just not going to get there. So what if we could do one block at a time? And Philadelphia is set up with, with over 4,000 blocks, hmm. each block having a block captain and those block captains reporting in in the network to the mayor. So I said, what if the city of Philadelphia, the Dow Chemical Company and the Dow Foundation and ECA, the Energy Coordinating Agency of Philadelphia, work together and have a contest? And they were looking at me like, what does a PhD chemist know about having a contest? <laughs> you know, and I said, I don't know anything, but people must, you know, they do contests all the time. Right, but right. what we can do as Dow is, we, we can donate the insulation, air sealing, and the cool roof materials, the white reflective roof coating, which actually was invented by some of my colleagues at Roman Haas. And, and so the city said, this is great. And what we can do is we can have education sessions about these materials. It's about being energy efficient because the Secretary Chu was saying the best energy is the energy you don't use, that you don't waste. And so we can use it for other things. And um, so, so we held this contest and we said, okay, what do you have to do to win? You got to get the most people on your block to participate. You got to have the right kind of flat or low slope roofs that we can coat. And you, you got to explain why you're the model neighborhood to start doing this. And um, wow. So we held this contest and the 1200 block of Wolf Street won hands down. And they, they were amazing. And we went out there and we put this project in place where we coated the roofs, we sealed the windows, we, and we worked with this whole neighborhood. And 
the city of Philadelphia followed on to get a $25 million grant wow. from the Department of Energy. To so, so I really feel good about sort of setting up that model mm-hmm. and having it be something that they could build on to work to make Philadelphia and, and cities around the world more efficient. Well, that's terrific to hear. I mean, that practical and, and real life example, how you actually were contributing in a way specifically, as you mentioned, to that area and uh, how people sort of stepped up. And then, of course, your organization uh, donating and, and being involved with that. I think that's really cool to hear. I think our listeners always enjoy getting their hands on something specific like that. What would you point to that you love the most about chemistry or the work you've done over the years? I mean, is there something that really drives you or has driven you over your career? I guess there are two things. One, I love to see the light bulb go on when people really understand how things work. And so when I talk about things, another project I loved was the uh, Dow Powerhouse Solar Shingle. So this is, you know, so how you can make the shingles on your roof, not just shingles, but photovoltaics. So you could power your house with your house. So, I mean, I love it when you can take science and make it work for you, right. where it can make your life better, whether it's in the energy world or whether it has to do with water purification or making water more available and accessible or, or food, food preservation. So to me, it's all about chemistry. And my mom, I mean, my son, when I was uh, actually running for ACS president, which is a... a a professional association. He said, mom, mom, you have everyone believe that everything is based on chemistry. (laughs) I said, and they think kids don't listen. So (laughs) I think what's important is that, that those of us scientists and chemists need to get out there and talk about our science in a way that people see how it's really relevant to them. And I think that's what really excites me is talking about the science in a way that people can understand and get excited about doing it themselves. And that's one of the things we love about these shows is getting that inside perspective from people like you and you clearly have a passion and a love for it. And I think that comes across really well with a lot of our shows. With that in mind, maybe some of our listeners are maybe interested. Uh, Maybe they already were. Maybe you're spurring that a little bit for them. If they're looking in terms of education and what they would have to do to get into the field, I mean, is there a basic path for what they need to do if you're looking at a a certain degree or if there are certain schools you would point to, um, what would you suggest in terms of education? Well, I certainly think if you're you're looking for that technician-type role, you can certainly do that at technical school or with an associate's degree that teaches you really the basics of working in the lab. One of the schools that I work with that I just love is uh, NTID, which is the National Technical Institute for the Deaf, they have a great program at RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology, for teaching deaf and hard of hearing students how to work in the lab. And, and that's just an awesome program. But a number of schools have that kind have programs for associate degrees. If you're thinking of being a junior, junior chemist or a junior scientist, you're going to want to have a bachelor's um, in chemistry or other physical science. If you are interested in getting into really being the person who leads the lab, not just, well, manages the work or leads the lab, you're going to want a PhD or beyond. And so there's so many schools. One thing that my advisor told me when I went to school, he said, every school you go to, the next one should be even better. Hmm. So I guess that's my advice. (laughs) 
Oh, that definitely works for uh, for our purposes here. What about in terms of field work, internships? Is that all something that's required oftentimes? Is that just good practice? What would you say with that? I think it's great practice. Uh, there, there are some schools that require co-ops or internships, and that's a plus, but it doesn't mean you can't have one even if you're not. What I've seen in terms of internships is those people who have them or who have that kind of experience are the ones who get hired first mm-hmm. because they just they they know how to present themselves. They understand how a day flows in terms of work. They understand how important writing is and communication and presentation skills. It's interesting that, I mean, you're not the first one to bring that up because everyone thinks, of course, the focus on math and science Mm -hmm. and and those aspects. Um, So we always appreciate that consistency we hear among our experts talking about the importance of communication. Let's jump into that a little bit and the idea of actually applying to jobs, um, the interview itself. I mean, what tips would you have, some basic ones for our listeners that you would say is absolutely essential if you're looking to acquire that job? And, And again, maybe even some tips for the interview itself. Okay, well, uh, you're not going to get an interview without a great resume, a well-put-together, well-thought-out resume, and an excellent cover letter. So actually, one of the things I do now is mentor young people. Um, I used to be a corporate recruiter for Roman Haas, and uh, certainly a hiring manager uh, during my time at Dow. But what I find is that students tend to list things, Mm. right? They list courses they've taken. They list, list, list. And we're not looking for lists. We're looking to see how you process information. And we don't want, here's one of those places where less is more. So you want one page or maximum one page back and front. The idea is you want to give them enough information, the person who's reading your resume, to want to contact you and learn more. So you can't just say it you got to show it. So don't say you're a good team player. You've got to give them an example of right. how you're a good team player. So you want to have your education. You want to have your skills. You want to have your background. So if you've had that internship or you've, you've been, if, if you don't have an internship, so you, you can't show how you were on team at work in an industrial setting, well, maybe you had a summer job. Maybe you delivered papers. You, know, you want to be able to show them something that you did that showed initiative or that matches up with that job description. That fits right in, again, with a lot of things we talk about, and I appreciate you putting that out there as well. As you mentioned, um, there might be some misconceptions out there of what people need to, to put on a resume or put in their cover letter. In a similar vein, what skills, what personality types do you think really work best or maybe are vital to being successful when you are in the industry involved with chemistry? It's a mix of things. I think there's no one type of personality that is the best. And as someone who puts teams together, you don't want everyone to be the same. So having said that, you need to have a balance, right? You need to be, and a lot of times I'll ask the question of someone, what do you think is your greatest strength? But then the next follow-on is, what do you think is your biggest weakness? And so, for instance, you need someone who understands themselves and what their own limitations are. So in a case like that, to sort of walk around to the answer, maybe one of your greatest strengths is you're very talkative and you're a good presenter. Well, the weakness could be you're a great talker, maybe not a great listener. So what really works is 
is someone, whether you're a great talker, you still need to remind yourself to be a good listener. Or if you're very quiet, you need to remind yourself to speak up and be part of the team. So everyone has something to bring. When you're being interviewed, you need to make it clear what you're bringing. So you need to go in there prepared to to tell them about who you are and why you will make a difference for them. Well, speaking of that, you're talking about the ideas of strengths and maybe perceived weaknesses. uh, We'll call it that for now. Um, You had briefly talked about uh, working with the Institute uh, for the Deaf. And I wanted to bring that up as well, because you said that's really an area that you've look to um, really get involved with and helping out um, and maybe changing the perception or maybe improving the inception, uh, perception of people uh, in terms of working with or hiring chemists who do have a disability of some kind. What, what's been your experience with that? What's been your work thus far? Well, what, what I have to tell you is that actually Dow got the uh, award for partner of the year this year from NTID. Oh, okay. And and because I, I started actually an internship program for students to come and work at Dow. And what was really interesting is that the, a, a reporter from a, news, a large newspaper in Philadelphia called us and wanted to come out and, and interview us about working with these students. And after she was there for about 10 minutes, she said, well, actually, there's no story here. And we said, what do you mean? And she said, well, there's no story here because you're not having any trouble communicating with them. <laughs> you're, you're texting each other, you're writing on the board, you're typing on the computer, you're watching each other work with the equipment. Some of you even know how to sign. And, and some of the students read your lips. There's no story here. And we all looked at her and said, no, that is the story. Right, right. <laughs> There, and, and the people who worked with uh, the various students that have come in have been so excited. And I myself am, am signed up for sign language classes now. And uh, it's, it's just like learning another language. And amazingly, and I shouldn't say this amazingly, but there really is no problem communicating. And what you find is you really pay closer attention to what you have to say and you say it more succinctly. And we all found that after working with the students that we were better communicators. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't understand what that reporter would have been thinking there, but uh, it sounds like a cool story, again, and some of the things that uh, not just Dow, but yourself and all the people involved have been working with. I think that's really cool to hear. And, and for our listeners, again, whatever disability they might be dealing with or if they have any of their challenges, um, they can always draw some inspiration from there. We are getting low on time, but I do want to give you the opportunity. Um, you know, Katie, you've given us a lot of great information, some practical insight, as well as real-life examples. Um, if you were in the shoes of the job seeker and you were looking to maybe give them something as a final takeaway from our conversation and the idea of talking about getting into industrial chemistry, if you will, what would you put out there to wrap up the conversation? I guess what I would put out there is there are so many different options. And it took me about 13 years into my career to realize that I could have such a strong input into creating my own job. And so then I started looking around to see the jobs that other people had. And I had friends who are PhD chemists who are presidents of universities. And I have other friends who are, are bachelors in bachelor chemists, and they're doing financial analysis of technology stocks. Oh, wow. And uh, that would be my son. Uh, (laughs) A little plug there. He was a chemistry economics major. So what I would say is follow your heart and really 
the sky's the limit. So think about what you like to do. And a book that I would recommend, if I could, is The Art of Speed Reading People. Okay? Mm. So it's really about knowing yourself and knowing the people you work with and thinking about how to be the best you that you can be. That is a great place to finish up today. We appreciate it once again. We will bring this edition to a close. Specifically, again, this was I Want to Be an Industrial Chemist. We've gotten some details on the industry from Katie Hunt. Uh, You may see her as Dr. Catherine Hunt as well if you do look for her. Once again, Katie, thanks again for coming on the show, sharing your knowledge and insight. We do appreciate everything you've brought to us today. And thank you, Tim, and thank you to all my wonderful Wisconsin relatives. Go Packers! (laughs) <laughs> All right. And we're recording this after a big win over the Cowboys, by the way, if anybody uh, uh, knows what happened on that day. If you do have any comments or questions regarding any of our podcasts here on LJN Radio, of course, we encourage you to email us at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. Once again, I'm Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.